0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Global Health Pursuit podcast. I have to say, these past couple weeks have been extremely difficult. When it comes to creating content, interviewing great global health leaders, publishing podcast episodes, and just going about daily activities, it all feels extremely minute, almost pointless during times like these. Like many of you, my eyes and ears have been glued to reading and hearing about what's going on in Palestine and Israel. The carpet bombing and genocide that is occurring is something that almost doesn't allow me to live normally in a sense. And as much as I want to turn a blind eye to these current events, I can't. I was watching a TikTok by one of my favorite creators, and this is what she said. She said that the reality is this, the American media, Western media, has desensitized us so much and overstimulated us with current events that we no longer care about what's going on. For example, about five days ago, there was a mass shooting in Maine, and the reaction of the average American person is just to say, Wow, that's sad. Horrific, even. And then move on. She says that it's not because we don't genuinely care, but that's what the American and Western media has done to us. The amount of tragedy that we see on a daily basis desensitizes us and almost numbs us to the point where we feel helpless and feel like nothing we do can solve issues like poverty and oppression. And you know, I honestly wonder how people felt before the age of the internet. We never had so much information at our fingertips at all times. There's a collective anxiety that's always asking, what will happen next? Or worse, who's next? But this week, I wanted to take an opportunity to remind you that even though there's such tragedy and horror in the world Sometimes there can be a tiny sliver of light that can come out of such a time. You might have to squint your eyes to see this as so, but innovations, ideas, and hope are things that can come out of a situation like this. So I wanted to replay an episode for you that fully embodies this sliver of light. This is a story that began during the height of the Gulf War where Bombs were set off in Baghdad, Iraq, where Dr. Wissam Brigi and his pregnant wife sought medical care to birth their first child, Danny. He was born in a half-bombed hospital with no electricity and no access to a fully functioning infant incubator. Their story starts there. And as you listen, I hope this story brings you a sense of hope for the future of Palestine and every nation who is suffering from health inequity worldwide. According to the WHO, low- and middle-income countries have more than 80 million underserved babies annually, with more than 3.3 million preventable deaths. The lack of functioning infant incubators is a reason for neonatal morbidity and mortality in these countries. Now when we think of incubators, we often think of these big, high-tech, hefty glass containers that keep a baby safe from any outside contaminants. We see it as a little bubble of safety for our little newborns who are most susceptible to the disease and germs of the very scary outside world. In terms of cost, one standard incubator found in a newborn intensive care unit can cost anywhere between $1,500 and $35,000. This is so far beyond the budgets of many hospitals in low and middle income countries. So what do they do? use no incubator, or use a donated one that may break down in a month or so. They may even use a non-functioning one just to feel like they're doing good for the baby. I know what you're thinking, how can we let this happen? Dr. Wissam Brigi's inspiring personal story has led him and his team to developing a revolutionary incubator for only 1% of the cost and weight of traditional incubators used in hospitals in developed nations. And for a daily cost of care of $3.50 versus $3,000 in U.S. hospitals. Dr. Brijie is the founder and CEO of Brigi Scientific Incorporated. He's an inventor, entrepreneur, and human rights activist with over 25 years of experience covering a wide range of medical fields and business. His career is built on innovation and social justice for the disadvantaged stemming from his own upbringing and education with a unique perspective of certain medical issues and challenges doctor Brigi was a National Institute of Health postdoctoral fellow in gastroenterology at Tufts University School of Medicine. He deeply understands the suffering of people, which reflects in the philosophy of Brigi Scientific, as well as his work. His mission is equality and accessibility of healthcare for all. My name is Hetal Bahman and this is the Global Health Pursuit. Good morning. It's almost 11 a.m. We are talking on March 2nd, and I'm so excited. Let me just tell you, this is a topic that I've been trying to, ever since I decided to relaunch my podcast, I knew that I wanted to get you back on the podcast. Last time, when I first launched, I had your son, Danny, on, and that was an awesome interview. And I was like, you know what? I want to get Dr. Vrijian Wissam on. And when I saw your post on LinkedIn, that kind of sparked that excitement again in me. And I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to read that tweet that you shared. Yes. So the tweet comes from the Kampala Journal and it says, update. At least 15 babies died at Malago hospital after the incubators went off for close to three hours after an electricity blackout hashtag KJ news. Yeah. I'm going to read the first paragraph that you wrote, because that was something that it's almost like it hooked me. So you say, why are infants dying from easily preventable causes the lack of will to invest in, An innovation in basic neonatal healthcare keyword is basic is puzzling despite the staggering numbers of babies dying or surviving with disabilities annually, especially in low and middle income countries. We are not talking about upstream disease prevention. We're talking about a century old technology incubators. Yeah. That was something that blew my mind and I just wanted to ask you what exactly happened here in this situation.
1: Ah, you know, it's unfortunate that this is probably one tweet that we got from my travels around the world, seeing hospitals, and this is t- trips that was organized with Ministry of Health and all kind of people who are, you know, involved in, in this subject. And you go to hospitals and you see these old incubators, mostly refurbished, which means that because they can't afford, and this is a country, and this is, you know, a government hospital, but they can't afford these $100,000 incubator.
0: Is that what an incubator, so an incubator actually costs? Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you are, would you do me a tiny favor? Show me some love by doing one or more of these three things. A, click the support this podcast link in the description to donate a few dollars toward the production of this podcast. My dream is to do this full time and your support would mean the world. B, you can write me a review on Apple Podcasts and or rate me on Spotify to give me a boost in the algorithm. Or C, share this episode with someone who would love it just as much as you do. I truly and deeply appreciate you. Let's get back to the episode.
1: Oh, incubators. When you look on the internet, which is interesting, this is something we, we had to struggle with in the beginning. Because you go and it says, oh, you know, they are like probably $15,000, to $60,000 dollars. But the reality, so we went to hospitals, and we said, oh, okay, so this is not very expensive. If you can buy for $10,000, $15,000 incubator, and they said, what are you talking about? Tufts Medical in Boston at the Children's Hospital, they actually bought, at the time, they bought, this is a few years ago, I think 16 of them, and each one cost over $100,000 fully furnished. And I said, what is that number? And they said, oh yeah, they give it to you. It's basically just a box, you know, heat and humidity. And then you have to add all these monitors, things into it, the oxygen, phototherapy, and so forth. And then suddenly the price is, you know, way up there. Actually, the problem even worse, which makes it, is that To maintain these incubators, because these incubators, they are very sophisticated. And to maintain them, basically you have to sign a contract of maintenance or to have external services. To maintain these incubators, and it costs annually more than the incubator itself—something really mind-boggling—and this is where I, I guess when I started, I was a, a little upset, at least to say, is like
0: You're a little discouraged.
1: Well, it's not discouraged because we actually been for the past decade, at least, working on innovative solution, and so it's not impossible. The only thing is why these incubators—they are completely dependent in this case—and what happened. in this hospital, it was completely dependent on electricity, which is the same thing for every other incubators that that's use. So there's no electricity, there's no incubator. It's just a box that's sitting there, does nothing. And it's, you know, some hospitals that I visited, actually, because they stopped working, they didn't have the, the spare parts or, or the technical know-how, what to do with it. So literally, they kept it as a box, they have premature babies in these incubators, and they would put the little warm bottles inside to keep the baby. And I was looking at it. like, what is this? And they said, well, we can't use it. I said, okay, so why are you using this? And he said, well, it's even psychological. Like, we feel good as doctors because we don't have incubators. I was like, my God, this is really sad. This machine that is essential. And probably this is the only machine by, by the way, infant incubators, just to give you a, a quick background mm-hmm. for the people who are really not familiar with, with infant incubators. Infant incubators is, is this technology that was invented in the very early, what is 1900s, late 1800s and developed a couple of decades later and became, you know, this box that has some electric components, which is to provide heat and humidity and this box stayed the same for the past century nobody did anything to really develop this actually it became more complicated more sophisticated but it is exactly the same basic technology it's a box and it has to run on electricity and it provides heat and humidity that's it now we'll talk a little bit more details The problems with this design and what happened and then why, we know, I mean, governments in the U.S. and everywhere, we spent billions of dollars on babies. But still, we lack the infant incubators. We lack the infrastructure. And the problem is the infant incubator dictates everything around it. The system, the service, the hospital, the maintenance, Everything goes around this because this is the only device, the infant incubator, that is a biocontainment space that creates a microenvironment for a patient. There is no other patient that you put them in microenvironment Except extreme cases with infectious diseases or right. other things that you put them in. But regularly, infant babies newborn babies, when they are sick, underweight, or premature, you put them in, in these microenvironments. So it is a very basic kind of technology that you US use, but nobody have, you know, although did a lot of research and I have probably some ideas is like why this, but Still, it is a problem, and we are losing, you know, millions of babies annually because of of just this simple technology. Sad, isn't it?
0: It really is. I feel like I just, I learned so much. I didn't know how far back incubators were developed. That was something that is so interesting to me.
1: What is interesting is recently the United States Government Accountability Office presented a report to the Congress in, in last year. And this report, actually, this is the United States we're talking, we're not talking anywhere else in the world. Yeah. This is the country with innovation and you know, technology. The, uh, the report actually shows that half of the NICU departments were closed in the United States between 2004 and 2018. Going backwards, half of these mostly enrolled America, of course affected specifically low income, so it's black communities mostly affected, indigenous, who actually were affected by this. If you put it with other reports, like there was something we were talking about, the report March for Dime, their report, which is this is again, you know, this is the, the recent report, only a few months old, it basically says that the pre maturity in one year in the United States rose by four percent, and again, it affects black community and indigenous groups. So you look at it is like we are cutting costs now. This has been said, we spend billions of dollars on neonates annually. But it's these billions of dollars they are because the cost is so high that they have to close NICU departments, which is the neonatal intensive care um, units in hospitals because they are highly specialized. They need infant incubators. And if you have infant incubators, then you have to have maintenance. In the maintenance, then you have to have technical people who would right. actually you pay for biomedical engineers and so forth, you know, to actually maintain? And then you have to clean and disinfect and so forth. Weekly, maximum, one week, you have to actually take the baby out and clean disinfect because one thing we have to remind ourselves, this is an incubator, which means not only incubator for babies, it's incubator for germs. It's heat. It's a fantastic environment for for germs to grow. For growth. (laughs) It's 37 Celsius, it's heat and humidity. What's better for that? So now you have a baby who competes with these germs and you have the most vulnerable of your society. This is a baby who was just born and their immune system is still weak and they are sick to start with. And then you put them in these incubators. So the more you dig into it, the more it just mind-boggling. It's like why we are sticking to this technology, and nobody is really investing to rethink this whole process—the healthcare system for neonates. Why we are not rethinking the system?
0: It's like where are our priorities?
1: Exactly. Honestly, with the incubators, it's cash twenty-two. It's literally you uh, damn if you don't have them, because then when you put the babies. And then if you have them, because when you have them, then you have the cost, you have the cross contamination. There is a little problem getting ourselves into this. So when I started this work on neonates and, you know, infant incubators come to the story, why I got really hooked up around this subject. It's one thing that a few years ago, when I started doing my research, for me, it was clear. I mean, as a scientist and as an inventor, And looking at something immediately is like, aha, that's, that's what it is. The incubator was designed in a way that it makes it complicated. It makes it prone to infections and all that simple. So the first thing I did is like, okay, as a researcher, let's go dig the data, research, find what people actually published. Mm. It was so difficult to find somebody who would pinpoint that it is the infant incubator. I could not find clear cut that the incubators were actually the source of this problem. People will dance around it, but you can read between the lines. You can find things where it says, oh, in the United States, there is probably 20 plus percent of babies who get sick in the from infections and all that. But they don't tell you from where these infections are coming and what is the case. Where actually, if you look at the NICU, what the nurses are doing, what the doctors are doing, they're doing an amazing job. And then we look, okay, so I can see that these people are dedicated their time, their life to these little babies, vulnerable babies. But then why they are getting sick in, in the hospital? And nobody could actually say that a few years ago, and this is only a few years ago that the FDA had a recall on considered the Cadillacs of all incubators. You know, and here I have to, <laughs> to talk yeah. about a huge company, but this is not about GE. It was a recall for their giraffe incubators because they actually get infection. And I'm sure they danced around it to work with the FDA and then said, oh, you know, the seals, you know, rubber seals or whatever, they harbor, you know, bacteria and so forth. And then that's where the infection, you know, is coming from. And there was this recall and they have to read it. And it was hush-hush, nobody heard about it. And it just disappeared. Now, actually, interestingly enough, the past couple of weeks, I've been re-researching this whole subject and I start finding more data. And I think people probably, it became so obvious that you cannot hide it anymore. And there was so much talk about it. So I found this article, I mean, a lot of articles, but this one was in, in Nepal, <laughs> where they actually found 75% of infections in the NICU. It's actually, the majority came from the infant incubators and the warmers. And it was clear that actually it was the problem because I'm sure a lot of people who would start to push back is like, well, you know, this is low resource settings and people don't have a very good protocols for cleaning, disinfecting, or they're not doing it right. Okay, fair enough. In France, a study, three years, not, not a small study, three years in 2018, they actually looked into cases of bacteremia in babies in the NICU and they tried to go through a very methodical process of elimination of from where this infection is coming, you know, in the babies. Right. And they did everything. The department, the people, the, the health care providers. Finally, they zeroed down and narrowed the whole thing to the incubators. Okay. They changed the process of cleaning, disinfecting, and so forth, which is, again, you're talking about France. You're not talking about another country. I know. They couldn't solve it. Finally, they actually had to take these incubators out, put new ones. The infection stopped. So literally, you clean, disinfect, do everything, and still the infection is there. So this is what it tells me. Literally, it was like a eureka point where I was like, we were vindicated now because what we did, we actually made a disposable housing.
0: Now I'm going to talk. I want to ask you questions on that, but I, w- I want to go back and talk about the mission of Brigi Scientific. So you founded this company called Brigi Scientific and you focus on low resource settings. How did you start? to really form this idea of this incubator for, I guess you could have even made a company that serviced people within the U.S., you know, in high-income countries. What was the main reason why you want to focus on those specific areas?
1: Well, my background is in medical. As a doctor, finished my postdoc in gastroenterology. I worked in ophthalmic research. I have several patents in, in ophthalmology, which is talking about money making. You can make these patents and these devices and make a lot of money. But my research, you know, and for many years, I, and I was very lucky in my career that it, it, it really brought me to many fields of research and exposed to a lot of things. And my travels, my background, probably, I don't know, as a mundane, you know, you always look into the people who are actually less fortunate, I guess. When I start looking into medical devices in general. Always we design something for high value countries. We design something that it's basically so high tech, so expensive mm-hmm. that it was by design it is for high resource settings. And the problem is that this is a device that is going to be used in the rest of the world which is the 90% of the world. And then suddenly you take these devices and you want to use them in low-resource settings where the culture is different, the political environment is different, you know, the socioeconomics is different, all of this, and now you want to use this there. You have the device because always the argument will be, we have the technology, why don't you use it? Well, I can't because it's too expensive, too complicated. It needs a lot and only... At the end, only the wealthier of the society who can afford, actually, these technologies. Now, medicine shouldn't be like that. I mean, this is where I think my philosophy or my belief, and this is, you know, core thing in me, medicine shouldn't be like that. Medicine should be like when we talk about education, which is unfortunate, probably the same thing, is that it has to be for everybody. It has to be a human right thing. Everybody has to have access and good access, not because I don't have money. Somebody developed a cardboard infant incubator. And I looked at it as like, what are you thinking? True, these people don't have money, but you don't spend time and develop a cardboard infant incubator. You have the know-how, to develop something that it is high-tech, good quality. It actually treats but at the same time, we as creators, inventors, researchers in the field, who we can think of ways to make this technology, and we have the, the abilities, we have the know-how to make it low cost. It doesn't mean that you actually compromise the quality. It's just the cost. And this is...
0: Accessibility.
1: Exactly. Unfortunately, it takes time, because if you want to develop an expensive device, it's much faster than developing expensive and good device. But if you wanna do low cost, but good device, then you tripled your time, because now we have to do research how to make it less expensive. And we have examples, I mean, we're working on on phototherapy, that ours work on 12 volt, that costs, probably comparing with the other ones, no more than 5% of what it costs. And actually, it works even better.
0: Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode. I'd like to thank the sponsor of today's episode, aka me. I know this is very different from the usual ads you might hear on podcasts, but hey, a girl's gotta rep herself in this crazy world, because if I don't, who will? Look. It wasn't easy leaving a stable and secure corporate job at one of the biggest healthcare companies out there. I went through burnout, depression, and so much healing, but I see the light at the end of the tunnel. And with your help, I know I can get there. All I ask of you is to do one or more of these three things. A. Click the support this podcast link in the description to donate a few dollars one time or monthly if you feel so inclined. B. Write a review on Apple Podcasts, and or rate me on Spotify to give me a boost in the algorithm. Or C, share this episode with someone who would love this episode just as much as you do. I truly and deeply appreciate you. Let's get back to the episode. You know, when you were talking about that, I I was thinking about how a lot of med device companies in the US, they will Send or donate devices, like, for example, incubators, right? And like you said, maybe the electricity goes out or they just don't know how to use it. It's too complicated, you know? And then, and then it just kind of sits in a storage area. What happens
1: there? (laughs) Absolutely. I have photos. Literally, I was into rooms in hospitals where and there was an article a few years ago, I'm trying to remember if it was the Wall Street Journal, actually it was published. Uh, it was talking about the incubator's graveyard. Mm, mm-hmm. There is a goodwill of donating these refurbished machines all that. But these are old machines. Six months, and I literally on the ground, as I said, I went to Central America and other places where we looked at it. And they said, it comes, it works, three, four, five, six months, stopped. Nobody knows how to fix right, it. Right,
0: so we just put it in the side. And
1: just uh, dump it on the side. Or, as I, I said, I have these photos where babies, they are sitting in a non-functional infant incubator.
0: It's like, what's the point? Exactly. Wow. Okay, I definitely want to talk about your story because the culmination of what Brigi Scientific is kind of started, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but it started way back when you had your first child, Danny. and. I want to ask you just to really tell us the story of what happened, how this idea came about. I mean, it's just touching. (laughs) I just want to hear it from you.
1: Well, it's one of those things that no parents would want to actually see. I mean, we were lucky in a way. This has happened actually during the first uh, Gulf War. I was in Iraq, and my wife was in her late stage of pregnancy when the war started. And in the middle of the the war, we fled Baghdad, and we were actually in a town that we're not familiar with. Uh, we'd, we'd even probably the same story of, of any refugee you hear when you see on, on TV today. It was just uh, horrific. And I, interestingly enough, I, I, I had things in my car that I was ready to deliver. My baby. And of course, my wife was like, no way in hell, you're <laughs> no not going to touch me. <laughs> yeah. No way. Jose, You're not going to touch me. So I was like, okay, fair enough. You know, let, let's figure it out. So I had to, to drive and it was so dangerous. I mean, this is in the middle of bombing and explosions oh and all that in an area where we were, as I said, we were outside. We fled home. And we were comfortable in the sense that half of the family doctors, the uncles, the cousins, and her doctors, one of the best actually in the country. But when we fled, everything is gone. Right. There is nothing underneath you. I mean, literally, you feel like you are in a free fall. And this is not only your life, but now there is your wife and where there's a baby is coming and you don't know what to do. So I found this small hospital in this small town we were in and it was literally almost abandoned. It was a skeleton of uh, two nurses and one doctor was in, stayed in in the hospital and they didn't have electricity for like a couple months because you know, the whole infrastructure was bombed and it was freezing cold. And we had one candle in the hospital, literally. There was one candle we had in front of us, and there's a candle inside where the doctor and the nurse, and I can hear my wife really in, in agony. Yeah. And then the, the nurse came to me, and she said, go get me some wood. I was like, what do you mean? And she said, your wife is freezing, and I'm worried about the baby. And I said, "There's no wood. I mean, this is like a manicured yard outside the hospital. It was just like, well, what are you gonna find?" So anyway, so I go outside. It was pitch dark, and as as sad as this was, really comic because I went into a pool of concrete that I didn't see. It was so dark. I literally walked right in it, and you know, hit my head on the floor, like literally, laid on my back,
0: like a cartoon.
1: Exactly. I mean, in the middle of all of this, and you (laughs) know, you laugh about it years later, right? But I didn't even pay attention to what happened to me. So I go around and I find little twigs or whatever. I go in and I pulled one of those stainless steel surgical containers, put alcohol, and lit a little fire. And when Danny came. He was blue. Literally, she called me. I looked at him. I mean, the kid is dark. And she said that the baby is freezing. And I'm looking around. There's incubators just lined up in the room. And they were just a piece of junk. And it's so frustrating that it is right next to you, and you can't save your baby. So literally within half an hour, and this is anyway, so we took the baby. I run to the car, put the heat on and trying to actually get the baby in the car, in the hospital, to keep him warm. So it really, one of those things is that even you don't know what happened to the baby, what's the effect, what really manifested all all of this. And years later, of course, you know, immediately we actually, we had plans to leave the country, and we were lucky we left, and you know, came to the US, and Danny grew up to be a healthy child, and, and then, Went to BU, finished pre-med, and then he decided to go public health. And this whole story, sometimes you try to block it from your mind. It's just so sad. That one day came to me and he said, Dad, do you know that there is more than three and a half million babies die before twenty-eight days? And do you know that the incubators is a big deal out of all of this? And it's like, what are you talking about? What's three and a half million? And said annually before twenty-eight days. So I start digging and doing research, and I'm looking at the numbers. I was like, oh, my God, we were so lucky. With the rest of the world, what happened to these families and in- So being an innovator, an inventor, I had some ideas, actually, something I was working on for biocontainment space, a disposable one, that you can actually do surgeries and other things Mm -hmm. without having this complicated surgical suites and all that, and you can do it anyway. So when we looked at this, we said, okay, we can actually develop an infant incubator that it would have everything that a Cadillac of all incubators have that we will put it in this one, but we will make it better. So we went and broke down every single component of an incubator, what works, what doesn't. Where's the problems? Electricity, infection, complicated components, can't work on a solar, can work on a battery, can you use it for transport? Mm -hmm. If there is no doctors, suddenly or even not suddenly, you know, in a war or something, but in a small town, and there is no specialist, can a specialist have an access to this baby immediately, look at the data, look at the baby, and can actually guide the healthcare providers how to actually do this? So we looked at all of this and we start putting it together. So it became the, uh, the Ferrari that can drive in the desert.
0: Oh, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at those statistics and over 2.5 million annually in neonatal mortality and in morbidity over 40 million need help annually which is insane can you just for people who don't understand the difference between mortality and morbidity can you just uh yes yeah
1: so uh, basically mortality is is uh, as it indicates you know death so this is where the numbers of uh, the statistics that we looked at when somebody expired died Mm -hmm. and morbidity is where somebody is sick mm-hmm. and get infection. Now, the unfortunate part of the story that we look at morbidity or oh, mortality because it's easy calculated. Right, Dead registered, it goes through the registry, and now you can count a number. Morbidity, which is the most dangerous part in my mind, is not the mortality, it's the morbidity because it's, I mean, one, it's, Perceived the mortality. So you have somebody's getting sick, sick bad, didn't get help and then died. But the problem is that what we see now the numbers is what's recorded and what is, you know, the WHO says all that recently is 2.6 or 3 million babies die annually before 28 days, which is the infancy. When we say 28 days, it's when we say an infant. So a baby is a baby six months, a year it's a baby. But an infant, a newborn, is 28 days. So that's where it's calculated in when we talk about the infancy as a newborn. So when you have this number, you really think two and a half million. As a matter of fact, it's probably double or quadruple because it's not recorded everywhere right. small towns villages whatever and and people don't even record right they have birth and then a couple of days later in the village and dies and the unfortunately the end of the story now morbidity where it is to tell the truth from my studies it's not even 40 million it's probably 60 or 70 million babies that they need help and most of them they, they can't get it because you would look at it, there is babies who would come low birth weight. I mean, We're talking about 22 million babies. This is, again, this is WHO data. 15 million premature babies. And it's increasing. As I said, in the United States in one year, 4% increase. Then you have jaundice, which is the simplest thing people don't realize. More than 60% of newborn healthy babies, they come with jaundice. And a big percentage of that actually needs phototherapy, just some light but needs to be in the hospital. You need to have the equipment. You need to have the light. And you need to actually keep the baby in the hospital. So there is cost, maintenance, and so forth. So when you look at these numbers, it's just absolutely staggering with the morbidity. The problem, there is a cascaded thing that we don't talk much about it. It is what happened later. When you have babies, when in the first few weeks, few months, they don't grow very healthy, they have some health issues, they might actually have these health issues. And there's a lot of data proven that it would continue with them. They would grow in poor health. So now, economics, society, development, you know, you'd have a country or, or community that even, you know, ability to be productive in society. So all of this effects, it ends up that cripples the community. So th- that's why when, when I, I, it's frustrating, when you look at this solution is, of course, it's not that simple, but when one of the main factors that we know that you can keep the baby healthy for the first few weeks until they get strong enough, and then we can continue a good diet and vaccinations and so forth. And then you'll grow up to be healthy. There is this whole uh, data that came through the, the UN, the Sustainable Development Goals that, that actually in 2016. So this is a few years back. And one of them was to decrease mortality in children under five. And when you look at it, the under five, it actually there is a great progress. We start, because you could diet and, you know, a little better, vaccinations and clean water and so forth, and and we start to have some breakthrough. Right. Now, in neonates, it went the other way. It's actually increased. And it went, I think, from 40% to 47% increase. So it is frustrating when you see this whole picture, you put it together, and you see why we are fighting a losing battle with all this progress, with all this development.
0: That makes me think, it's almost like, why did the UN for the Sustainable Development Goals choose children under five versus newborn babies? I don't know. It's it's just a question, you know?
1: I agree. I mean, it should be separated. It should be, I don't know if there is influences, if there is pushbacks, but it definitely, and, and I'll tell you, I'm involved. It's not only medical, if it has to do with socioeconomics, politics, and all that. And I look at countries, and I have connections with governments and ministries of health and people in a very high level into this around the world. And I've talked to them candidly about it. And there is this lag of what to do about it, how much money to put in it. Immigration. A lot of people, when you think about it, why you want to leave if you have good economics. But part of it is actually is if your family is safe, if you can actually have a baby that can survive. So it, it really affects even immigration, if you think about it.
0: Wow. It's so interconnected. Absolutely. So you mentioned something about the amount of well, the dollars spent, even going back to the US, on preterm birth, and you said it was more than $26.2 billion. And then you said in the in the LinkedIn post, you said the sad reality is that the whole world spent less than $8.60 per newborn per year annually.
1: So this is where, you know, the sad kind of thing, you look at it and, and you see that we have over 100 million babies born, 20, million born. And then you look at how much actually we've been purchasing new incubators and in the refurbishing. and then you look at it and it's like this is how we are spending our dollars to actually fight something like this and again when you you see the points the lichten article puts many facts where cost the cost of the incubators the cost of maintenance the manufacturing, and if there is incentive even for manufacturers to do anything about it. And there was two main points of, of, of this. One is the innovation. Two is the cross-contamination. And three is basically the electricity. So you look at it, these incubators, they have to have electricity at all times. Otherwise, we'll have these stories over and over again with babies die. I mean, literally, you have an incubator sitting right there. Electricity goes for three hours, and 15 babies die. It's just the saddest story you would hear about just three hours, and, and they couldn't do anything for these incubators, and they kill the babies, literally. Then you would have these infections that recurrence into these incubators. So now we have incubators, but then still we are losing babies. And of course, nobody wants to talk about it because if you think about it, if I say that the incubator is a source of infection, then the NICU department has to close the department because then they have to clean and get rid of of that infection. And that's mean they're going to lose money and they're going to So nobody wants to talk about that. The companies who are developing it, I guess they don't know what to do because here's the incubator. We are making it better by making it complex and all kind of things. And But it still it is the same old technology. So it's the same old problems that inherited for a century and nobody resolved it. And that's where it makes it, as I said, cash 22. Right.
0: So let's look at the bright side. So Brigitte Scientific has developed a incubator that is disposable. I'm just going to let you talk about it. It's called the the Nikki. Yes, right? Is that how you say it? It is
1: a Nikki. Yes.
0: So amazingly innovative. I just want you to talk about the design. Amazing. I just
1: (laughs) thank you. Well, this is an effort that really, I have to admit, probably hundreds of people, scientists, engineers. Doctors who got involved into either designing or materials or even giving feedbacks into what it is. And as I said, from my experience and then expanding into a look into this, we had problems that we have to check that is solved. And we started first with the electricity. So we decided that this infant incubator, it is NICI, which is Neonatal Intensive Care Incubator. It's a fully function, actually high-tech infant incubator. But I don't want it to be dependent on regular grid electricity. I want it to have a battery. I want it to work on solar. I want it to work on car so it can be transport, which is, by the way, it's a different machine. Transport infant incubators are different machines from regular infant incubators. I want it to be one. I can pick up the baby, put them in the car, hook it to the car, and still I can service, give the baby the warmth, the ventilation, even phototherapy, until I transfer them to, to the next hospital. The other thing is how to get rid of the infection. So we went really into details of breaking down infant incubators, where the infection is coming from. So we found out like, okay, the housing itself, it's a source of infection. The humidifier is a source of infection. The ventilation system is a source of infection. So how you would actually get rid of all of these components and make it safe to the baby. So the first thing we looked at was like, how about putting the baby in a disposable housing? a single-use housing, which is, you know, according to the American Pediatric Association, and globally something adapted everywhere that between, it depends, even the WHO, you know, five to seven days, some says four to seven days, that you need to take the baby out, clean, disinfect, service the infant incubator, and put them back in. So we said, okay, how about we make a single use that only use it for those five to seven days, you put the baby in, it's sterile completely. It's airlocked. It actually be able to house completely the baby inside, but it actually works. You know, you actually attach it to a reusable a modular, which has the heat, the humidity, the ventilation, all the, the electronic components and, and so forth. So you connect it to that. So now only the housing is disposable. So when you take the baby out or there's a new baby, that disposable piece actually inexpensive. Uh, it does all the work. It is actually transparent and so forth. And you take it out. Now it's a disposable recyclable piece. You take it, you throw it, you put a brand new sterile one, even for the same baby or a new baby. So now we cut literally the source of cross contamination nosocomial diseases which is that you know diseases acquired in the hospital between babies and
0: now you don't have to pay for the technician you exactly. don't have to pay for the cleaning,
1: cleaning materials time now you want to clean you have 10 incubators in your department and you have 10 babies in you can't have 10 babies in all times because 3 4 of them they have to be rotated taken out to be clean, disinfected, and so forth. So always you are missing few incubators not in function. So in reality, you don't have 10 always functioning, maybe seven, because always there is few of them out to be serviced, clean, disinfected, and so forth. So in this case, you don't. It's right there, you take the old one, dispose it, and then you put a brand new one, sterile, you put the baby in a completely healthy environment, no cross-contamination, no nothing. So these little things, we try to develop work on it. One other things, you know, we we did, we looked at it as like, okay, now I have the baby in and I want this baby to be able to get the best healthcare available there if we'll be able to do it. So how are we going to do that? So what we did, we developed a whole telemedicine component into it. So now we can actually passively, the machine collects data because you are putting the baby in this incubator and everything is connected to the cloud with a unique ID number. And what this would do would actually create, if a baby is now in Honduras, in La Ceiba, a town in the north, and I'm sitting in Boston, I can take that code I look at it, I can immediately identify the country, the city, and where the hospital, and the baby with a number. So there is privacy. So now suddenly I can collect all this data. I can look at regions, continents, country, and I can see what kind of treatment, how long the treatment took, what kind of, of cases we're having. So if there's a spike in a certain cases and in a certain area we will immediately see that spike in this region, which is, by the way, this is data nobody has. So now we go back to the morbidity kind of thing and the cost. So now the government, instead of wasting time, throwing money on things that probably not doing much, I can analyze this data and I can say, okay, this is what we need. This is the cases that prevalent in this area. This is what we see. This is how much we need to pay attention to it. So we put all of that in this machine. So now it became really, as I said, you know, it's the Ferrari of the desert. That has everything, but that's why it took us actually a long time. Because we were looking particularly to to every single little detail, what do we need to do about it? And this is why, and this is how we actually came to, you know, engineers been working for years now. So many uh, versions we try to actually update and develop, and we're trying to get it to market.
0: And I just want to say that you had your first infant being treated by the Nikki. That was in November of last year. How did that make you
1: feel? Oh, my God. <laughs> that was, it was, compl- I mean, I'm very cautious. That's why probably delays. We had teams, you know, working on the regulatory pieces and the component. And Danny have spent a lot of time into this. And one of the uh, lead engineers into the electronics and the electrical component part of it, and he's a professor, actually, in Turkey. So our our work is international. We've been working with several countries. And, you know, recently we were actually in Turkey, and there was this amazing support, even from the Turkish government, trying to really get us to build, start this technology, you know, over there. So this professor, who actually had a, a baby, Born, it was toward the end of COVID, and there was some spike actually in the area of COVID cases. So they went to the hospital. They had the baby delivered, but he was not very happy because there were some cases reported in the hospital for COVID, and he was worried about his wife and the newborn. And it happens that he was working on the phototherapy that we've been developed, and as I said, this our phototherapy is a very high intensity. Was tested so many times and it works on 12 volts. It's not even regular electricity, so wow. it can convert. And even actually, he is developing a remote app control on the phototherapy. So it can actually have it at a home used, and, and the doctors or nurses can actually control and monitor the babies. And so when when he saw the situation in the hospital, he asked the doctor and said, do I have to keep my wife and the baby here? I said, well, yeah, because, you know, your baby's really needs like five days of treatment because there's some severe case of jaundice. And he immediately thought about it. I'm working on this innovative technology and I've tested it myself. Can I use it? And the doctor said, well, I mean, I don't know the technology, but if you are sure if it has a proper, you know, wavelength light and all of that and, and it's safe, sure. And he said, you know what? I tested it. I know it is safe because we've, I've been working on it. <laughs> and so I'm the guy who's doing it.
0: Especially on your own baby. You right, know, right. Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. And then he decided that, you know what? I'll take it home. And he took the wife and and the baby home. And he literally, I mean, the device was even not fully built with, like, the box and a nice container. It's only the light itself, Uh wires hanging, and then he made it like a makeshift kind of uh, stand, you know, over the baby. And within three days, the baby actually cleared from below with jaundice. And even the doctors were completely surprised about the results. Like, wow, you know, this is a great device. You know, bring it to to us. We need need this one. (laughs) So he called me, and I didn't know actually about this. And I was traveling, and I came in, and he said, this is what I did. I was like, are you crazy? (laughs) And he said, well, I mean, you've been working. It's true. I mean, this specifically, the phototherapy, we've been working on for like uh, more than three years. And he has been working on it for almost a year. And he said, I know what it is. I know it's good. I know the wavelength and all of that. So it really delivers. It, It treats. And he said, you know what? I'll tell you. It works very good. I said you know what? Thumbs up. You know?
0: Thumbs up. That is so funny and but so inspiring, you know, for yourself. Like you're like, one like I actually treated a baby using my device.
1: Absolutely. And and you know, I've been waiting for, for this moments, you know, for, for a long time. And as a scary as this because I feel the responsibility. I mean literally, you have to remember this story, it's my own son. Right. So even the slight thinking of putting a baby in this incubator that I developed, I spent all my time and you know, the decade of my life trying to develop this. And still I feel like the responsibility is so huge that I have to be perfect. Because this is a life of a baby. It's a medical device. It's a medical, de- yeah. But as I said, people probably say it in a way that they—it's a medical device. You know, you 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 work in the field. That's it. For me, it's personal, right? And that's why I very personally about it. Is it's trying <laughs> to really be sure that everything works the way that it should be. And I have to admit, I mean, as I said, I know it works. I know the phototherapy was fantastic, but I, I never had the courage to say, okay, you know what, it does. And when he did, and he came back and he said, look, the doctors said, you need five days. Three days, the bed was cleared, and it actually looks very healthy. It just, you know, worked fantastic. It was so simple to use, easy. He said, literally, I have the app on my phone, and I can control the whole thing and in my baby at home even when i go to the university he said literally i can control it so it it was definitely a good story and i'm waiting hopefully soon the time that we will have enough funding to at least uh, roll it out to to the hospitals uh, to do some some studies wow
0: that is just so that is just such an amazing story thank you for sharing that absolutely well with Thank you. It was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Oh,
1: thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you. It's fun.
0: <laughs> I just want to ask you one more question. What can people do to support you and your mission?
1: Well, as I said, you know, our mission is, is basically to really, it's it's not probably about the money. Although financially, economically, this device is very profitable. The way it was designed, because we spent a lot of time to decrease the cost of manufacturing Components, all that, but we did not stop short because of that to put the best of the technologies that are available today into this. And a lot of people who support us to, to actually come this far. Now we are getting very close to get it into, into market and we have our team ready. We have everything ready. So financially, I think this is where investors or angel investors or somebody who believes into the mission that actually can support us to get it into the market. And as I said, this is not a technology that was developed in in six months or a year or two and has a lot of problems. This is a technology that well thought of, dedicated hundreds of people who were actually working into it. And I'm hoping that soon we can, you know, between raise, you know, the awareness about the problem and where we actually managed to find a solution. A solution that literally will be revolutionized the infant incubator industry. And I, I won't probably, before we leave, the uh, the head of the Neonatology Society in Turkey, a fantastic woman, a very smart and one of the leading experts in neonatology. We talked to her, we visit her actually in person and in Ankara. And when she looked at the data and then the testing and the device, she said, I'll tell you, if I have this machine comes to, to the hospital, I'll ditch every single incubator that I have. Because he said, I studied all the problems that you're trying to solve and we couldn't solve them. And so we had to work around and make procedures and protocols trying to minimize. I said, you basically just you clear the path for us to do our job instead of getting busy trying to patch these holes into the, the technology, the old technology. So this is a big deal when it comes from experts. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to deliver this soon.
0: Well, I know that you will be. Thank you. Yeah, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic and our guest today, head over to www.globalhealthpursuit.com forward slash show notes to get access to resources, links, and ways you can get involved in the pursuit for global health. And if you love this episode, don't forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you and continues to elevate the causes that we're so passionate about. This episode was hosted and written by me, Hatul Baman, and was produced and edited by Anna Curran Howard. I'll see you in the next one.